Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Teaching of God's Word, I've said more than one time, uh, perhaps across this pulpit, and that is in Jesus' ministry, you'll find him teaching more than he does preaching. I think for one simple thing that uh, when the disciples came together to the Mount of Olives before uh, he ever left and they came to him privately, the scripture says, and they began to ask him uh, when some of these happenings that he had spoke about, the, the culmination of the world, when all these things were going to be, what sign is there going to be of your coming or the end of the world is near. And Jesus spoke to them some starting words. His starting reply was this. He said, take heed that no man deceive you. And the only way you will keep from being deceived is if you're taught. Amen. Is if you're taught. And so I don't want anybody around here to be deceived. All right. Amen. So we're going to go to the teaching of God's word. We are in Genesis. How many read Genesis 24 this past week? Sister Craig did. All right. That's all right. Brother Alex Mason did. Hallelujah. Thank God. Oh, that's funny. I mean, it's, it's great. That's fine. I just, that's tremendous. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 24. I want to read verses 11 through 14 tonight. Last Wednesday, we started uh, the criteria for finding a mate. And this is going to be part number two. Whenever I start to consider and weigh on the fact of the word criteria, maybe uh, that probably wasn't the best word to use because... I think there's criteria in this, there's steps in this, there's cautions in this, there's, there's a bunch of stuff. Maybe I should have said stuff. Stuff for finding... <laughs> doesn't sound as eloquent, does it? But anyway, criteria for finding a mate. Genesis 24, starting with verse number 11. The Bible says, and he made... And if, if, just capsulate real quick. What we have here is Abraham sent his eldest servant out to find a mate for his son Isaac. All right, he's already been in the process of doing that. Abraham has laid down a couple of ground rules uh, that we covered last week. Two rules, yes, I know. And uh, so we're going to try to go a little further. So it is speaking, whenever it speaks of he, is speaking of that eldest servant here in verse 11. And he made his camels to kneel down without the city by a well of water at the time of the evening, even the time that women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, I pray thee send me good speed this day and shew kindness unto my master Abraham. Behold, I stand here by the well of water and the daughters of the men of the city come out to draw water. And let it come to pass that the damsel to whom I shall say, let down thy pitcher, I pray thee, that I may drink. And she shall say, drink. I will give thy camels drink also. Let the same be she that thou hast appointed for thy servant Isaac. And thereby shall I know that thou hast shewed kindness unto my master. Amen. This is part two this evening. Let's go to the Lord in prayer right now. Father, God, I thank you, Jesus. God, for being able to be here again looking at your word. God, through 
very practical eyes tonight, Lord, in a practical manner and way. But although practical, Lord, I still deem very significant. The Lord Jesus, for those to whom, God, this would apply directly or perhaps indirectly. I pray, O oh Lord Jesus, today enlighten our minds. Help us, God, to lean into your word tonight. God, to see what the voice of heaven may be speaking to us. God, for any time the word is shared, I'm sure that in that I can find something, God, that can apply to me and apply to my life or help me in some measure or some way. God, I'll give you the glory for it. In the lovely name of Jesus, I pray. Amen and amen. Everybody say amen. Shake a hand or two if you want to before you're seated. Amen. Criteria for finding the mate part two. Last week, we just went over two, two criteria last week. Uh, the first one that we went over that, that Abraham had told his eldest servant uh, about was basically summed up in this, and that is do not date or marry an unbeliever. The number two uh, uh, item on the list that we covered last week toward the end because we spent quite a bit of time on item number one but the, the last one that we came to that Abraham this has come from Abraham to his servant was basically if I could sum it up like this do not marry a person uh, with an incompatible spiritual appetite or necessarily continue dating them after you have learned this those were the two items of last week in verse number 12 this evening in our reading, we read that, uh, or in the setting of Scripture, Abraham, or rather his eldest servant, has now made that, that journey. He has went the distance, if you will, back to the homeland uh, of Haran where they had separated apart uh, from Ur of Chaldees. He is there now. He's near the city. He's out by the well. He has his camels kneeling down. It's the time of the evening when the women would come out and get water for their homes and return home, which was uh, getting the water was normally an activity of, of the woman, normally a row of hers in that day, and customarily they did it in the evening when the heat of the day was gone, and they would go out there and they would get water. And so he's kneeling down there, and in verse number 12, what I believe is vitally important, I, I, I know sometimes we take this idea very lightly, but the servant is here his camels are kneeling and the servant is praying could you imagine he's praying as a matter of fact uh, from my understanding from my study scholars even say that sister Craig this is the first recorded instance of prayer for specific guidance recorded in the Bible the first recorded prayer for specific guidance in the Bible, in the Scriptures. And if that be the case tonight, ladies and gentlemen, then I believe this is very significant. Very significant. Because then the first recorded prayer for specific guidance was for guidance concerning finding a mate. Amen. So I believe this is very important if this be the case. Here is a prayer that is being made for finding a mate. So number three on our list, if you will, is this criteria pray for guidance footnote be specific amen now here's the reason why I say that 
Because see, people will pray about their careers. They'll pray about their homes and their cars. Their health issues. Their finances. And yet leave out their potential mate. And whenever I, whenever I begin to consider this, this past week, all these other things that they may give concentrated, even specific prayer and guidance for all these other areas are more than likely going to change again sometime in their lifetime. However, they'll lack in prayer about something that was intended by God to never change. Honey, if I want guidance, I for sure want guidance on the eternal more so than the temporal. So pray for guidance. Be specific about that prayer. Now, now, now you must realize that uh, he asked for guidance. I think this is important. He asked for guidance and he prayed after he had already placed himself where he might encounter a godly mate for Isaac. He was at the well that was near the city. And as I said, normally the responsibility of the woman to draw the water, normally in the evening time, after the heat of the day is passed, uh, he, he, he was in a scenario where this could or might happen. He was praying concerning this. Now, don't get me wrong and say, well, you know, pray at home. But I don't want us to get this mentality that, honey, I'm just going to be home someday. And I'm going to be praying at home for God to send me a mate. And I'm going to expect them to walk up to my door. And they're going to give a gentle knock. And I'm going to look out the peephole. And I'm going to say, lo and behold. Thank you, Lord, for answering prayer. <laughs> and they're going to come in and say, hey, I'm, I'm Mrs. Wonderful. And I'm interested in you. I think that's a little far-fetched. Ever so slightly far-fetched but the servant went to the well and then he prayed for guidance he went to where the possibility was heightened the potential was heightened and then he asked for guidance he went to where there were some proper prospects and then he asked for guidance my plea to you is go to the camp meetings go to the national youth conventions Go to the conferences. Go to other apostolic churches whenever they're having revival. And if I may right now silence any voice that might be saying, oh, Brother McGee, I tell you what, I can't believe these singles going to these special events and they're thinking about potential mates while they're there. Well, where would you like them to go to think about a potential mate? Would you like them to go to the mall? Would you like them to go to the bar? Would you like them to take the cruise route around town and begin sitting in parking lots looking for a mate? Or would you like them to find a potential mate at the well where there's a proper prospect in the eyes of God for them? If you want to pray for guidance for a mate, don't do it in a bar. <laughs> You're asking for some guidance, God, show me the right one. Don't do it loitering in the parking lot like every other Tom, Dick, and Harry out here in our community. Get in the conference, get in church, go to a camp meeting. Surround yourself where people are interested in the well.
tell you, at least in these church events, I'll tell you what the servant could do where he was stationed. At least in the church events, you can observe how that person interacts with the well. Uh huh. They can see how vital the well, the place of refreshment, is in their life. So it's notable, it's notable that the servant prayed for guidance. He prayed for them as the women came out to draw water. Look at verse 13. It's as the women were coming out to draw water that he, he, is, he is saying this prayer. In verse 13 he says, Behold, I stand here by the well. He's praying. He's already started his prayer. And he says, And the daughters of the men of the city come out to draw water. So he started praying for guidance uh, almost before or even simultaneously, if you will, as the women are coming out to draw water. If I may say it like this, he didn't start taking inventory of the women we have our list you know I don't have a pen somewhere here we have our list no prayer happened okay no guidance from God but we have our list they start coming out to the well too short too thin wrong color of hair eyes nope uh huh he didn't start taking inventory of the appearance of the ladies and their actions until he had prayed for guidance from God first. Uh-huh. He said, I'm going to pray for guidance from God because I got my list, but he's got his too. <laughs> and we need to compare notes. We, we, we need to compare some notes here. Because see what happens many times when we set ourselves in an environment of many potential mates It'll cause you, it's just human nature, it'll cause you to start filtering through your personal list of likes, dislikes, preferences, criteria that you have in your head. And you'll go through that. And many times, if you've not consulted God, that will be the weight that will shift you in the direction of who might be acceptable to you without ever passing that before the guidance of God. That's the reason why that servant got there and he says, honey, before they get out here, come, before, before all these young ladies start coming out here, I'm going to have to get in touch with the master before all this starts. Because if I don't, yeah, and it don't matter just men, men or women, it doesn't matter. Either way, you know. Oh, he's six foot two. Mm, I know how that shirt's laying on him. He, he is cut. His stomach is cut like mama's washing board. He's blonde hair, blue eyes. He's got a seven-digit phone number and a six-digit annual income. Amen. So pray for guidance. Be specific. The servant of Abraham... Just, just didn't throw out there, oh God, just send me a good person. Just send me a good lady. He was very specific about what he would like for happen, what he would like to see if, if it would be arranged just so that this would happen and this would take place. It was something that 
He, he asked, was asking of God that was beyond his control. It was something that he was asking of God that he couldn't determine the results. Amen. In, in verse 14, if we may read again, Brother Tyler, and let, it, and let it come to pass. Here's the specific prayer. And let it come to pass that the damsel to whom I shall say, this is specific now, let down thy pitcher, I pray thee, that I may drink, and she shall say, drink, and I will give thy camels drink. Also, let the, the, the same be she that has appointed, that thou hast appointed for thy servant Isaac, and thereby shall I know that thou hast shewed kindness unto my master. If I may, this evening, number four is this. Don't manipulate the results. Don't manipulate the results. The servant is saying a prayer. It could even almost be viewed in certain respects as a fleece that he was bringing before the Lord. A fleece was for a woman. His fleece was kind of along this line, or his prayer was kind of along this line, was for a woman that would willingly meet a spoken need and perceptibly attend to the unspoken need. Let this damsel give me a drink of water when I ask. But let her offer my camel's drinks also. Basically without him asking. His prayer wasn't concerning, and I'm not going to drive this nail heavy, but his prayer was not concerning necessarily her appearance or her wealth or lack thereof or some type of five-point superficial list per se, but it was upon and concerning her character. The character. And so, you know, a prayer or a fleece, if you will, of the servant, let me tell you, this is the fleece that he made, the prayer that he made is vastly different than the one that we look at I believe it is in, in, in the book of Judges concerning Gideon. You remember the fleeces that Gideon put before the Lord? All the time bring this up to my wife uh, concerning fleeces. But Gideon, his fleece that he put before the Lord, uh, he put that before the Lord because he doubted what God already said. The, the fleece that Gideon put before the Lord, God said, I'm going to do this. And, the Lord, and Gideon was like, I'm a little doubtful about this, God. Uh, you told me you're going to do this. Now confirm it to me that you're... Prove to me, Lord, that you mean what you say. Now, we don't need to have that type of mentality. If God has said it, we need to accept it at face value and stop having God, you know, go on a cross and die all over again to prove his love. You hear what I'm saying? That was not the case here with this servant's fleece. This gentleman was asking for a tool of guidance, a tool of guidance. Amen. He was wanting to know what God wanted him to do. I mean, think of it. I know we got the Bible today, but this servant didn't. He didn't have Matthew chapter 5. He could go to and reference such and such and say, okay, that's God's will and purpose for man. He didn't have that. So he had to go to prayer. He had already received two instructions by Abraham, his master, already received that. He's already went with that, but now he's saying, God, I, I need some guidance. I need something beyond what I have right here. And so he's praying to God for that. Now, if you try to turn this thing around and you know already explicitly that God through his word has given you certain tools and guidance and you're praying for a change of mind, 
you pray amiss. You pray amiss. Your prayer should not be to discover further what God wants for you or discern something, perhaps I should say, different from what God has already revealed to you through His Word. And many times, here's the thing. Sometimes people disarm me, disarm me as a, a voice of counsel or advice in their life whenever those words come up, well, I prayed about it. Seriously. You disarm me sometimes whenever you use, if you use, I don't know if you're using that uh, uh, carefully or you're just using it loosely, but you disarm me whenever people come up and say, well, I, 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 you, I prayed about something and as a result of such and such, you know, this is what, I, as a result of this prayer and what I feel like God told me, this is what I'm supposed to do. So whenever you said you prayed about, man, that's the trump card. You know, what, who am I to speak against someone in their prayer? Although there's sometimes, I think, in the back of my mind, I could say, you know, I think you might have did that in your flesh. And you ordered things in such a way, perhaps, where you could determine the results. But what good would that do? One thing is definitely for sure, ladies and gentlemen, if the answer to your prayer is against the word of God, you better go examine that prayer you had and that voice you heard. Don't try to manipulate the results. Whenever he prayed that prayer and later she comes and he asks of drink and she gives it, (laughs) I don't have no uh, textual uh, thing that is related to me concerning his disposition, his actions, but I doubt from what I gleaned from Scripture that here are the ten camels over here, and he said, may I have a drink? She says, yeah, and he's kind of going. <laughs> Man, she really meets some criteria on my list, and you know, <laughs> I know I prayed, Lord, but I'm just kind of helping this along a little bit. I know that may seem just very simple, but it's very real. Don't try to help or manipulate the results and sometimes we do that by excusing whoever it is well they're a good person well glory stick of mud (laughs) Genesis 24 verse verse 15 the Bible says and I'm going to read just a couple verses of scripture we're going to be in 24 here tonight I mean we're pretty much just right here I, I tell you what, it must be God ordained. The past two Wednesdays, I haven't started this clock. All right, so we're just here till I get, feel like it's over. Oh, the pages that are up here tonight. Genesis 24, verse 15. And it came to pass before he had done speaking. He's been praying and boom, before he even had a chance to, to quit or finish. That behold, Rebekah came out, who was born to Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, with her pitcher upon her shoulder. And the damsel was very fair to look upon a virgin, neither had any man known her. She went down to the well and filled her pitcher and came up. Now listen, the servant wasn't quite done praying, but behold, here comes the ladies out. Here is Rebecca. Now I want you to understand right now, 
just by looking at her, he did not know her, 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 her whole ancestry, okay? Scripture is just already providing us a little bit of information here. Amen. She, he didn't know just by looking, well, that was one of the kindred of Abraham, hands down, you know. That was not the case. But Scripture is just providing some stuff here. But what I do want us to understand from these two Scriptures comes number five, and that is this. Don't compromise character for comeliness. And I'll be here for a little bit if anybody just wants to kick back. Don't compromise character for comeliness. Notice, the first, one of the first things, look at the scriptures 15 and 16. One of the first things that was, that was catching, if you will, the first things about Rebecca that is catching right here is that this girl has a picture on her shoulder. This girl's intent is the well. Probably everybody that came out that day didn't necessarily have a picture on the shoulder. Every lady that came wasn't purpose or intended to do any drawing of water. He said, but that lady right there, she's got a picture on her shoulder and I'm looking for someone that can give me something to drink. Ooh, what's going on here? She has a picture on her shoulder. Could it already be in the back of the mind? The little fireworks are flashing. Hey, we might have a possibility here. She's got a picture on her shoulder. <laughs> but notice what he did not do. It's not like he took and then just bellow out and say, oh, I've been looking for you for 500 miles. I, I am such and such. Will you go back and be the wife of Isaac? You're the one, you're the one and only. Oh, I dream dreams about this. I've seen visions. I prayed about No. No. You know, I think I think there's a fine line between moving too quickly and moving too slowly in a relationship. If I can say it in football terms, I think sometimes we got false starts. So he was first captured by the idea that there's a picture on her shoulder. And then secondly, though, look at it now in verse number 16. And the damsel was very fair to look upon. She was a virgin. She was pure. Of course, I don't think necessarily he knew everything. There was scripture just supplying us some information. But she was very fair to look upon. She got a picture on her shoulder. She's not bad looking either. Now, please nobody get offended with what I'm about ready to say and understand it in the terms that I'm saying it. Please do not commit to somebody that is as ugly as homemade sin and mud to you. You understand what I'm saying? Please don't marry somebody that's just as ugly as thing you ever seen that is ugly to you. Practical matters, in the end, you've got to go to bed with that. And the old saying used to be, beauty is skin deep, but ugly is all the way to the bone. 
But there is a cliche that is very true that beauty is in the eye of the beholder. What is beautiful to you is not necessarily beautiful to me. But that's all right. I'm not going to marry it. You are. Is somebody hearing me right now? That, 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 that doesn't matter. And so if I may say, and I think this is important, I know I fall and pray to this myself sometimes, but let me be a voice of reason for all the bystanders tonight. Please don't criticize what someone else may deem as beautiful. Because you could be a voice that's swaying them from their future spouse because that person isn't attractive to you. Somebody hear me right now? Huh. If they was attractive to you, you might should be the one marrying them. In all and every sense and way. So there's a picture on Rebecca's shoulder. We have here maybe a possibility. She kind of looks pretty fine too. Looking kind of good. And I, and I met here this evening, just be, you know, uh, we need to deem character, and that is totally true. But I admit just through these few verses right here that there's something that's crying out to me as well. And I think I already heard my wife blasting it over here uh, on this side, that there has to be some type of physical attraction in order to be interested in a person. But that shouldn't be the only thing. I think that's where it's important. There's nothing wrong with physical attraction as long as that's not your only driving force. In Genesis 29, verse 17, brother Tyler, here we have a description of Leah and Rachel, the two people that came in Jacob's life. <laughs> and if you can't read that tonight, elders, there's something wrong. <laughs> Leah. Leah was tender-eyed, the Bible says, but Rachel was beautiful and well-favored. If I can say like this, Rachel was beautiful, so, so Rachel had a comely appearance, and she was well-favored, had popularity. Jacob has these two people that become a part of his life. Now, since Leah is the eldest girl... She is the one who should have been married first, and so it was in Scripture. Laban heavily veiled her, and in the morning it was Leah, as Scripture says. But look at the differences of these two women. Leah desired Jacob's love. Rachel desired what she could get as a result of Jacob's love. Leah in Scripture, is more calm and, and resigned to her lot in life. Rachel was irritable for the most part when she didn't get her way immediately. Leah outlives Rachel. Leah's even-tempered Rachel had flown off the handle in her crisis. Leah was dependable. She was faithful. Rachel, though many times in Scripture, is pictured as being inconsistent in many respects. Leah and her handmaid bore twice as many children as Rachel and her handmaid. For that matter, Leah bore Judah, from which came the Messiah. Leah bore Levi, from which came the priestly tribe. 
Leah is more characterized as a giver. Rachel is more characterized as a taker. Leah in the end is buried in the family tomb. And Rachel is buried where she died. And Jacob himself even taking all this in realized Leah is eh, kind of weak eyed. Nothing grand. If I got to. Rachel on the other hand was said beautiful she's well favored her appearance her popularity and Jacob loved and tended to and seemingly in the good portions of life gave more attention to someone where he based his choice upon appearance and popularity rather than character and that doesn't harmonize with the instruction that we are given the advice that we are given from the wisest man in scripture Solomon Now, we understand that Solomon, in the latter years of his life, ignored his own advice. Amen. And he took to himself many strange women that were popular. He did. Yes, he did. And perhaps their appearance, perhaps they were adorned and lavished princesses. Yes, he did. But they were void of character. Now, prior to this big mistake in Solomon's life, though... Uh, Proverbs 31 about the middle age of his life whenever he's writing Proverbs and Proverbs 31 uh, the Proverbs 31 woman as we call her was born through his writing and those verses are littered whenever you read the last verses of Proverbs 31 it is littered littered everybody say littered littered with character traits character traits The popularity that's spoken of in those verses is that which she receives from her husband and children. And those, those, and can I say it like this? The popularity she received was from those who knew her best, her husband and her children. Then among this lengthy description though, we don't really see one word spoken about her appearance except that strength and honor are her clothing. And he culminates here at verse number 30 in Proverbs 31, 31, 30. And the Bible says, favor, everybody say popularity, is deceitful. And beauty, everybody say appearance, is vain. But a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. You know, sometimes... I don't know. Maybe I'm just shooting around tonight. But sometimes people want to like what's likable. That everybody just likes and adores and talks about and stuff. That may be the case and that might be fitting for someone in particular but that might not just because they are liked by people or by a majority, or by a grouping of people, doesn't necessarily mean they're a good fit for anybody to be a mate to. Genesis 24, verse 17. I'm hurrying alone. 17. So he prayed this prayer. He seen the picture on her shoulder. He says, yep, she's pretty fine. And the servant ran to meet her and said, let me, I pray thee, drink a little water. Look at this. 
a little water of thy pitcher. And she said, Drink, my Lord. And she hasted and let down her pitcher upon her hand and gave him drink. And when she had done giving him drink, she said, he didn't say anything, I will draw water for thy camels also until they have done drinking. And she hasted, everybody say hasted, and emptied her pitcher into the trough and ran again into the well to draw water and drew for all his camels. You know what's amazing to me? God's answer to the servant's prayer wasn't in the form of a voice from heaven. There was no miracle. There was no visible angel, except Rebecca probably in his eyes. There was no visible angel, no great spiritual demonstration that took place, no sign in the sky, if you will, but just a practical illustration of somebody that was willing to go the extra mile. You need that type of help me in your life. Somebody that's willing to go the extra mile with you. The Bible says she went down to the well in verse number 16. So there's some type of descent here. It wasn't uncommon for there being steps that would go down to the mouth of a well. And she comes up, this, she's coming right out with that picture. She means business, but as she comes up, she goes down into the well. She comes back out. She has water up on her shoulder. And look, and here's the servant. He asked her if he could drink a little. He asked her if he could drink a little of the water from her pitcher. If I may, he was saying, can I have a sip of water? And without hesitation, she said, it said it, she made haste in doing this. Without hesitation, she said, drink. In other words, he's getting more than a sip. Because scripture even displays that when she had done giving him a drink, and you know, this might took just a little moment here for him to this water down he wasn't just getting a sip so already in this he's asking for a little and she's saying in her action she's saying you go on and take as much as you need and then of all things I will draw water for your camels also one two three four five six seven eight nine oh there's a head ten I will draw water for your camels. Also, he didn't ask for water for the camels. Listen to me. Customarily in that time, it was common that whenever the ladies went out, it was even expected, if you will, in those days, and there were travelers that were going by, that the women at the well would take care of the thirst of the travelers, but not necessarily their animals. So whenever she gave drink, to the servant she was doing what was expected when she did for the camels she went above what was expected you need a future mate that won't just be what's expected but be above what is expected I got, I got to get something in our mind because sometimes we, you know, we're looking for Mr. Right or Mrs. Right. And if we get that type of mentality, then we'll assume somewhere along the journey after we're married, they can become Mr. Wrong. 
We put a lot of the emphasis on the way that they need to be. And I, I believe that's why we're going through this. There is some criteria that needs to be met. But you'll find that better if you be the better person. If you'll be Mr. Right, you'll probably come along Mrs. Right. I don't know if that hit any, if anybody just thought and grabbed a hold of what I just said. So listen here, of her own accord, without any prompting, she was sensitive to a need. And she agreed to meet the need. Although she knew, she's carried water back and forth to the house before. She knew the sacrifice that would be involved in doing what she said she would do. Mm-hmm. She gave water to the servant. She gave water to ten camels. Walk with me very quickly. I know some people's bored out of their gourd. Hallelujah, bless them. At the end of the day, a camel has the ability of drinking 25 to 30 gallons of water. For 10 camels, that's 250 to 300 gallons of water. Pitchers in that day, ancient jars, normally held no more. The top of the line was three gallons. She would have to make from 80 to 100 trips down into the well to water those 10 camels. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you need, she's not here tonight, but you, you need a Margaret Garrett in your life. Because God help me right now There has been no gift given to Rebecca yet She has not received in anything in return For what she said she's going to do She is doing this without anything being reciprocated right now In other words this lady right here She's not self-centered she doesn't have to have everything her own way. She's not selfish. She isn't portraying some attitude, it's all about me. No, she has a servant's heart. She has a servant's spirit. She's acting like Christ. Whenever she made the offer, she was already aware of the sacrifice it was going to take. But you know what she said? I'm willing to do it. I'm willing to go there. That's the reason why we say in sickness and in health, richer for poor, we're asking you, are you willing to water the camels without getting anything in return God she didn't give the line well I gotta have this I gotta have a hut with gold plated strong I gotta have a floor made out of silver I gotta have a china cabinet with the best mud dob dishes no 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 she said I'll do it I'll do it and she didn't even know what was in this guy's mind yet she didn't know the intention or the purpose in his mind yet. You know why we need a servant heart and a servant spirit? Because of most of the conflicts in marriages, the very root of most conflicts in marriage is over self-centeredness. 
Most conflicts in marriages line up with this. Something or someone didn't please you. <laughs> A lot of times it's about our own personal selfishness. So we need people to come together that have servant's heart. They say, I'll do it. No, I'll do it. No, I'll do it. I'll do it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If I may continue right here, just for a little bit, 6, it's 8.14. Hear me. Players are for games, not relationships. Players are for games, not relationships. The Bible says that after the servant seen Rachel, seen how she conducted herself down in that well and then came up and he noticed that she was a good-looking lady, amen, with all of this being said. And she promptly went down. She didn't take on conversation. She said, man, I'm getting to the well. She was running to the water. The place of refreshment was she goes there. She goes down in the well. The Bible says when the servant witnessed all this that his response was this, that he ran to meet her. There was none of this leading her on to think that he desired a drink of her pitcher. And then she began to agree to supply it and let it down and then refused. Uh-huh. Someone say hallelujah. In other words, in this thing right here, there wasn't this playing hard to get. There wasn't this no means yes garbage. Players are for games. Man, if you want to start dealing with a lady's emotions, how the men play, they play with ladies' emotions. They're, they're all lovey-dovey with their words. And they arouse emotions inside that lady. They arise, arouse feelings in that lady. It causes her to get a deep connection with that guy. And he's saying all this, Mm-hmm. with his own intentions in mind. And if the street ain't heading that direction, we'll cut that off. Let me tell you, you've just injured her greatly. But on the flip side, the ladies that are players, they're the touchy-feely. They're the touchy-feely. If it's not a shoulder, it's an arm. It's the inside of the thigh. Uh-huh. And yet whenever that doesn't go all the way and then, okay, then that's over or whatever or she doesn't get what she wants because she's selfish. Then we break that up and you just injured him greatly. For one reason, you shouldn't be there anyway. You shouldn't be there anyway because the Shulamite and the Song of Solomon, you know what she spoke to everybody around? She says, do not awake my love. She wasn't talking about a literal sleep and a literal waking up. She was talking about, do not arouse my love. In other words, this was before they were ever married. She's saying, there's some things that don't need to be aroused before marriage. Yeah, 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 yeah. How do you do that to a woman? You play with her emotions. You arouse her in a sexual way before marriage. And if you play touchy-feely with a guy, you arouse him sexually in a way that he should not be aroused before marriage. 
Somebody's trying to go to Psalm Solomon right now. They want a verse. They want a verse. Amen. I'm trying to get you a verse right here because I just feel like I need to. All right. Someone say amen. Amen. If you read the first two chapters, I know you'll find it. It's within the first two chapters. I'll get it for you before I close this service. So, don't, don't. Players are for games, not for relationships. Sarah wasn't playing games either, though. I think it's important to know that Sarah wasn't playing games either. He, when he ran out there to meet her with a genuine interest, he wasn't playing the game. Yeah, I'll take some water. No, no, no. Yeah, oh, no. No, it wasn't that. She wasn't playing games either, though. As I said, because what she had done, she did without the knowledge of the servant's intent and purpose. In other words, listen to me now. She was not putting on, this is a very long hyphenated word. She was not putting on her, I want you to be interested in me facade. Because some people will only talk a certain way, act a certain way, perform a certain way, if they know you're interested and they just do that to get you further interested. Rebecca was doing what she was doing not to gather an interest of this servant. She was being who she was. She was being true to herself. And what I see a lot of times in relationships are people not being true to themselves just because they're trying to win a prize. I got my... I want you to be interested in me, character going right now. Uh-huh. My talk, my actions, my display, my affection to God. 2-7, is it, Bishop? Yup, 2-7, that's exactly right. 2-7, thank you, Bishop. Psalm, Solomon 2-7. Number seven, I still got some time? Yeah, they say, and hear that crowd just roar, yes. Number seven item. Important one. It's getting hot up here. I know everybody else is cold, but I'm hot. Don't start, important word, don't start committing until you're well informed. In other words, we better gauge how that person acts before they knew I was interested in them. She wasn't trying to impress him. She was just being who she was. Genesis 24, verses 21 and 22. I'm trying. I'm really trying tonight. Hey, can't tell you how long I've been up here. I'm so sad about that. Hallelujah. And the man wondering at her held his peace. <laughs> She's doing all this stuff. He's wondering at her. He held his peace. To wit, whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. What's he doing? He's still filling this thing out. And it came to pass, as the camels had done drinking, that, I don't know how long that took, but I'm sure it took a while, that the man took a golden earring of half a shackle weight and two bracelets for her hands of ten shackle weight of gold. Look, the servant did not say anything to Rebecca at this point about marital relationship or any type of relationship for that matter furthermore just at the moment that she said that I'll water your camels he didn't even give her any gifts right then 
As a matter of fact, he didn't give any gifts until she did what she said she was going to do. <laughs> he didn't even become casually committed in anything until he seen that she was a person of her word. Because mm-hmm. I can flip, flip tricks like a monkey if there's coins in my mug. Oh, God. I know I'm speaking in Proverbs and Proverbs and all this tonight, but I hope you're following what I'm saying. So, he didn't do any of this. None of this have happened. He, he, he wasn't making no commitment yet. And it seems as though, as he says that he was, he was wondering at her, and he held his peace. It seems as though he's in awe, and, and yet what he's in awe about is not, she's a fair maid. He's in awe by what she is doing. She's in awe about the sacrifice that she is involving herself. He's involved in about how she's committed to do this laborious job of watering the camels without him even asking. He's in awe about her diligence. And verse 23 says, and said, here he is. Even when she said all this about the camels, he didn't even speak to her. She's like, she's just letting her do her thing until she completely finished all that. And then he offers gifts and he actually says something. And he said, whose daughter art thou? Tell me, I pray thee, is there room in thy father's house for us to lodge in? And she said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, which bear unto Nahor. Which she bear unto Nahor. So the servant didn't seal the deal of the relationship. He didn't even concretely engage, if you will, anything to her. Even after his prayer fleece was seemingly specifically asked and specifically answered, he still didn't just rush in. He's weighing all this out. Why? Because there's a couple things that the servant needed to know. Number one, look at verse 23. He wanted to verify her ancestry. Because Abraham said, make sure it's someone of my kindred and of my country. He says, I'm in the country and I was outside at a well near the city and she came to the well, but I need to know for sure this is one of his kin. That she's one that will be honorable to God as he is honorable unto God. Because there could be other people in this area that visit the well as well and have similar traits and similar attributes. If I might say, there might be some other good moral people around here, but they're not people of the kindred. Amen. He says, so I need to verify, I need to verify that she is of the proper ancestry. You better verify the people in the church are in the church. I hate that I have to say that, but I need to say that in this century. Not everything that goes to church lifts its hands and does all this other thing are in the church. You better verify their ancestry. You better verify their pedigree. Hear me right now. Uh-huh. Because there'll be people just show up around the well because they know that's where people get hooked up with mates. 
Let me tell you a ploy of the devil of people coming in church long enough to steal some of our godly men and godly women out of here. You better check their ancestry. You better check their pedigree. You better check their relationship. I've seen it way, way too many times. They can be even in church for two years, but all along what they're really trying to do is scout a mate. And after they get him, the challenge has been done, the kill is over, and it's time to depart from God. Let me tell you, honey, you better check their ancestry. Don't commit until you're well informed. Number two, look at verse 24. He wanted to meet the family. Nothing has been spoken about marriage. Nothing has been spoken about any part of a relationship. Because I need to be well informed. I need to check her ancestry. And I want to meet the family. Let me tell you something. You might love so and so and such and such. But let me tell you something. You better meet the family. You know, some of these sayings we kick around ain't all stupid and dumb. Some of them are really true. You don't just marry the individual. You marry the family. There is a very, very strong vein of truth in that. You're going to have holidays to spend, birthdays to celebrate, deaths to congregate around, grandchildren, children that's going to be someone's grandchildren, to two different parties. Oh, Brother McGee, you, you just got an old spirit of old fogey bishop on you. No, I'm telling you what, I got a godly spirit on me right now. And it is ancient of days, let me tell you right now. It is ancient of days. You better meet the family. You can date that boy or that girl, that man or that woman all you want to, honey. Don't you dare go to no great commitment for life until you met the family. I'm not blowing no smoke tonight. Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 6. And I'm coming to a close. No hands clapped, that's, that's comforting. Psalm, Psalm 1, verse 6. Look at this now. This is the Shulamite. She's crying out. This is the, the, the encounter whenever Solomon espies her in the vineyard. And she says, Look not upon me because I am black, because the sun hath looked upon me. My mother's children were angry with me. They made me the keeper of the vineyards, but mine own vineyard have I not Solomon is going through the land he espies out the Shulamite woman in the vineyard and she right off man she, she sees that she's caught his attention and she right off begins to start and I'll talk about this somewhere between here or Sunday morning amen she begin right off talking and expressing her insecurities maybe we'll look at this on Sunday morning how well Solomon handled that fact in her life something to look forward to in marriage matters how do you handle your wife's insecurities? Or to be wife? Or if what you did before you got married, you should handle them the same after you got married. Okay, that's, that's Sunday. Because she's aware of her flaws. She's already starting to voice them. She's aware of them. And not only that, look at it. She has somewhat of a dysfunctional family. My mother's children were angry with me. 
What this is is simply one or two things. She is either fatherless, fatherless or now a stepfather is in her life. If I said that right. Her mother's children are angry with her. And there seems to be a little of a bit of an upheaval among the siblings. <laughs> Solomon got a lot of knowledge right there. She's sharing insecurities and she's talking about her dysfunctional family. You need to know that. You do. You, you. And yet with that knowledge, the story progresses in the Song of Solomon. Solomon loves her even having the knowledge of her insecurities and the knowledge of her dysfunctional family and eventually marries her. And the commitment that he made was not based upon a surface knowledge, but he was well informed about the dynamics, not just of her life, but the life of her family and the personal flaws that were there. If you can stand with me this evening. Give you a little teaser for next week to think about one of the items on the list. What does the family say? What does his or her family say about who you're about ready to join with? Because the word is, well, we don't care what da-da-da-da. We're going to do our own thing. Let me tell you something. You don't need to be so ignorant, stub-headed, think you got it all together, that the voice of the people that's been with that person since they brought, was brought into this world. There's a, you think you know them over your two-year relationship like they know them over their 22? Next week, the servant says, I want to know what mom and dad think about Rebecca. God help us. Lord, I love you. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.